huge. All right, we're live. I'm a little worried that the previous record, we've been recording like for an hour, just talking and me dealing with technical issues, literally for an, an hour. <laughs> and uh, man, I'm just, I'm so nervous that this video doesn't totally upload, but you gotta have faith. Yours goes so fast, man. But anyways, Hector, thanks for coming on the show, man. Of course. Yeah. Well, here. I mean, for full transparency, you, you know, definitely ditched me yesterday and uh, was a no-show and um, didn't respond. <laughs> and, then, and then you also almost did the same <laughs> to me today. So like, can we, we call, can it, call even? it even? Absolutely. We like to start <laughs> the show with call-outs, you know, get people already on their toes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way you know, to start, really I guess. Um, no, man, I, I really appreciate <laughs> yeah. you being on. And um, uh, I'll, I'll never forget, um, we were just talking about it, but I'll never forget the first time we did talk and we had a phone call and I was living in Miami. Um, where were you specifically? I was in you were in Mexico City, City right? And um, we had like this long conversation yeah. and the reason for it was we both had aligned interests on no code on we'll get into this in a little bit, but specifically Coda and being more powerful than notion. A lot of people probably just dropped off the podcast. Um, but, uh, but just, um, and hearing your story of, of how you were helping some small businesses with their, which actually is something near dear in my heart. Cause I'm an accountant originally, believe it or not is, um, Right. It yeah. always blew my mind how every business I've ever worked for or worked with um, has never had accurate data in real time to make the best decision possible. It was always looking in history. It was, you know, and it's just I, so many things have been created in the past five years, like from robotic process automation to then just simply no code automation mm -hmm. to then what uh, on uh, the last podcast, David Peterson, who was head of growth at Airtable, he refers to as these developer toolkits is his thesis, which is um, when they were at Airtable and they were growing, they were looking at comparable, they thought comparable companies like Salesforce, like just standard SaaS, but that wasn't a good comparison. He was saying, looking back really it should be compared against the notions and, you know, and even the codas, which is where people can use it as a toolkit and it's not a standardized, you know, platform and make it custom to exactly what you need. And isn't it true that that's one of the huge benefits and differentiators of coda specifically? Yeah, it, it definitely is. Um, Especially because now Coda has the PAX ecosystem, which means that now anyone can build and publish a pack. So that means that the current capabilities of Coda, um, and by that I mean a doc, a table, using formulas, uh, using automations, using buttons, all of that can actually be expanded by packs. So um, I think that's when, when you realize that Anyone can really be a builder. You keep saying anyone, anyone can be a maker. Do you really and mean anyone? Because it's the biggest pushback I get. 
True. I mean, yeah. I mean, okay. Let's we we can talk about what anyone means, right? Um, I do. For now, I believe that, and because it's the same issue we have with pretty much any Gregory local says, tool. Sorry, Gregory any, says no sound from Hector. <laughs> oh, we're so weird. just so everyone who's listening knows we are recording this on what I normally use, which is a little plug, I guess, Riverside.fm. Contemplating other ones. Um, but, uh, take next. Can you hear me now? Gregory? I, I don't see your, so anyways, we're, we're on the computer with Riverside and on our phones. We're on this new pod. No, like your thing's not, you know, red, you know, how it shows like the talking waves. Yeah. But we're on red, call yeah. in. Is it call in.co? Um, so I think it's something like that, but it's really made for, they've gotten some huge podcasters and, and, um, big names, uh, like in news and stuff like that. There you go. Okay. Your, your voice is working. I think I'm, you are, I think I'm on now. Yeah. Um, okay. Like, I don't know what happened there. What's his name? But, Brent um, Greenwald. but yeah, so, so Gregory. Gregory is listening to us live actually. Um, he's the number one fan and, uh, he's gonna, you know what? We're going to give Gregory a gift for his support. Um, so we'll figure out what that is, Gregory, and we'll send it to you after the show. But that's why we had this weird delay. But back to what what what, what you were saying. So Coda and Coda Packs and how anyone, anyone can be a builder, dot, dot, dot. Yeah. Okay. So. Yeah. Okay. So I think that's the issue when, generally speaking, when we talk about no-code tools and then we, we say, we all say yeah. something like, yeah, anyone is a maker, anyone can build something. And then, and then when anyone tries it, then they realize it's actually not for anyone. Um, I, I guess anyone means anyone who's actually willing to give it a try and to learn because it's, it's not for anyone. If you're not willing to dedicate some hours to learn the tool, whatever tool you're using, and then, and then go deep into that tool. Um, but. Practically speaking, if you can, this is how I think about it. If you understand the basics of a database, like if you understand how rows and columns work and how to like structure a relational data database or like way, like a relational database, exactly. That, I mean, that's like one important part to use a lot of no good tools. So if you understand how a relational database works and how you can customize it and how you can add values and parameters and inputs, etc. Plus you feel comfortable enough to do a couple of formulas on a spreadsheet. And then you like kind of know a little bit of web basics, which is like, what's a button <laughs> and like, what's an action, what's an automation. Um, and if you ever used word or any text processor, you're pretty like you now I would say if you do all of those, you can use 90% I of local. Dude, I'm, I'm in your camp. I only say that because I hear it so often, but I, I really believe it's just a lack of effort. I think it's a lack of effort. I, I, I think all of it can be learned and sure. Some are more difficult than others and there's limitations here and there, but if you're willing to, like you said, you can. Absolutely. There's no question. Like, don't you, don't you believe that? Definitely. I think, De definitely. I think, I mean, and 
maybe we can apply it to ourselves. I don't know about you, but I didn't see myself working in no code and tech and kind of like software-ish, low code, whatever, five years ago. I just like, I thought everything was about spreadsheets and email. <laughs> oh, God. And My two and least favorite tools in like history, that. Google Sheets and emails. I despise <laughs> them. But wait, you brought us something interesting. What was your answer then five years ago? If it wasn't, what was the answer? Like, what did you see yourself as a construction worker? Um, no, nah, not really. I like, I just saw myself doing finances and investment strategies for small companies, um, with the basic tools and by the basic tools, I meant Google sheets and Excel and I hated them. But that's all I got back then. It's just like, okay, this is just how it is. And I got used to it because it, I mean, even though it was pretty bad and even though I kind of hated it, I loved it at the same time. So we had this like love, hate relationship with Excel and spreadsheet and all of those, but I just got used to it. And I thought, okay, this is just, this is life. Like this is just how it works. And so I'm just going to keep doing it for the rest of my life. And then I'll see somewhere else to innovate. And I was not thinking about changing my tools and like just ditching Excel and the spreadsheet. Now I can happily say I, I haven't used a spreadsheet for no way. a few years, at least a year, maybe. I don't know. Really? Yeah. I mean, yeah, not, not to solve my stuff. I, I open some spreadsheets once in a while and I open some Excel's that someone sends me, but it's not like I go into Excel and do a financial model like, like I used to. Now I, I use other stuff. Causal? Causal, yeah. I was just about to say <laughs> I mainly use Causal, uh, which is amazing. Amazing? Um, yeah, since, since I since used, used it. And, and Finmark, cool. and there's a few other. And Pry, that was, Pry was actually just bought by Brex, Pry.co. Um, there's a few of them. Oh, interesting. Uh, but yeah, the, the, that's the most, um, I would say, robust tool, Causal. Yeah. Yeah. Coffle by far. It's, I think it's the best one. Um, yeah, I used to do a lot of financial modeling on Excel and then spreadsheets and, uh, I just shifted everything into wow. Coffle. Well, I have a lot of questions about that, but before we get into deep, um, for everyone who's listening, um, can you give people a little bit of context on who you are, you know, what you do and, um, you know, why, what brings you to this podcast as the most amazing guest besides tied with everybody else who's been on? <laughs> um, give me a second. He's making up a story about his life. Okay. So I think we have like some weird setup with both our computer and uh -huh. Colin because Gregory is now say, saying that if my <laughs> mic is on, then Jonathan, is, then it's still like you're echoing. So, so what I'm going to do is when I'm not speaking, I'm just going to mute myself and all right, or we can just likewise, leave the room, I guess. Um, Gregory, we can give um, you here. I'm just going to give you a link to, cause from the, from what we're using right now, we can live stream it to something. I just don't want to put it on like YouTube necessarily or, or something main, but I'll put it on Twitch because no one follows even knows that I even have Twitch. And if you want to watch it, uh, we could do that. So let's give that a try because it is a weird setup. 
and I totally agree. So let's, uh, here we go. This is so much. Well, I could do this, but you can go ahead and, uh, tell people who you are, you know, what you do and, um, uh, and how we, you know, kind of how we cross paths. Yeah, cool. So, um, yeah, my name is Hector. I'm uh, originally from Mexico. The, I was actually born in the north of Mexico in a small town called Hermosillo, Sonora, pretty close to the U.S. But I, I've been living in Mexico City for the past 20 years or so. Um, and I have a, a background in, in finances and um, accounting, same as you. Um, same as a lot of people, actually, in no code or yeah, I've seen a lot of finance people here. Um, so yeah, that's a little bit about me. I, uh, I've started a couple of companies. Most of them have failed. <laughs> so I've obviously learned a lot in the way. Um, started the first one when I was just starting college or a little bit before college. And then during college, I had like three of them or I tried three of them. Um, all of them random, a crowdfunding platform. <laughs> Another one was selling climbing t-shirts. Um, and then I, I joined an incubator and I did financial. You're a tried and true entrepreneur. Crunching for everything. Yeah. So I, I tried a little bit of everything. Um, and then I was working for a impact investment advisory firm where we would help small companies with their finances, operations, and, um, investment strategies in general. And and that's how I found out about no code because I just wanted to make my job easier um, instead of using the main tools. And and that's how I learned about no code. And then that's how I learned about MakerPad. Um, how did you, like all the Twitter how stuff did you, going on. Cause I was thinking before when you said like you weren't expecting to change your tools, I was going to ask you like, were you, you didn't explore, um, like you didn't explore, you didn't, just consistently like just look at what tools are out there and product hunt or whatever it might be. Um, but you must have, cause you came across no code. Was that actively or it was totally by accident? It was actually by accident. Um, I was kind of on my own bubble, just like not really aware of the word no code. Um, I was like rarely aware of product hunt and like, no code Twitter. And I was barely user of Twitter. Um, and then I think it all started on Twitter. I just like, I guess some people just started mentioning it. And then I was like, Oh, what is this? And then I saw a couple of options and then I got into MakerPad, and then I got into like Twitter as well. And then I just thought I went into the rabbit hole. Once I found out the many tools you could do, to automate, I got obsessed with Zapier once I found out about Zapier. Um, and then I got obsessed with uh, productivity tools. And then um, I think our table one was the first or one of the first tools I used as well. And I just thought it was, everything was just better than what I had, which is email and like my classic, uh, I don't know, G suit and stuff. So, um, Everything got better after that. And I went to the rabbit hole and, uh, never stopped. And just like, I guess similar as you, like you, you also learn about a couple of tools and then you got all in into them. And now, you know, like pretty much 
all of them. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I'm probably not the best example because I guess my obsession of just for the past decade plus, like it has not like before no code was even no code was anything that had to do with like, you were saying like productivity tools, like anything with like even business related portals, automations, BPM, like, you know, Zapier's type stuff, iPasses, um, workspaces, like monday.com, you know, the notion, you name it. I was just obsessed with trying every tool in the world. And it's what I did for fun. And they happened to all be no code tools, quote unquote. But like literally, like on my phone, when I delete an app, another app appears because it's already in the backlog of an app that I downloaded like two years ago, probably there's like a backlog of like 400 apps. And then I run out of memory and my phone freezes because I I try every app, everything like, which goes to your point actually, which is interesting because I think that's actually the wrong strategy. Sure. It's been the unique value that has built the, professional services or quote unquote agency business that I did was that, you know, people who didn't know anything about no code said, Hey, I want, you know, a shoe marketplace and I want it built on bubble. Everyone want, you know, but that's cause they only knew the tool bubble. And I asked, you know, what are the nuances of the project? And when I hear it, my mind just like immediately, you know, like, I'm like, you know what, actually for that functionality, like Airtable with Integra Matter Make and using Webflow as a front end without SETA would be a great, great, but much better customer experience using ShareTribe. Like I just told them the truth of like off of, it's kind of like the market just fell in my lap by accident. Like it wasn't my intent. I just, I would be using these tools anyways, but you do want to stay narrow and you want to stay focused because First of all, there's more tools now than ever. And I still go bonkers trying to try it. Like I'm in betas with like, like Intersect Labs to internal.io to reach, you name it, like it's crazy. And you kind of, there's this chart in the book Essentialism where it's like a ball and it's got like like little arrows going out from all sides of it. And that's when you, and it only goes a little bit out, like one inch out. And it's basically saying like, if you are working with, you know, you don't, you're not focused and you're working with a ton of different things. That could be tools, that could be all multiple areas of life, but it's basically saying lack of focus. You make a little bit of progress in all these directions versus the other picture, which is a circle with one arrow that goes all the way up and shows if you focus on that one thing and that one like niche and you become great at it, you travel so much further and provide so much more value. And so like being a glide expert, being a cl- just like a coda expert, and it's going to get more niche than that over time, in my opinion, but sticking to like a tool and being the master of that is more optimal, I believe, than knowing uh, a mediocre amount or a good amount about so many different tools, but it's kind of, it's, it's, it's not as much value as you can give. Like, do you know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Totally. I think it makes a lot of sense. And I think the first time we were speaking, we met, uh, I had a huge question on whether I should go niche or go broad. And, and, and you like, 
went straight into go niche. Just like go as niche as you can. Go super niche. Um, how, how do you think about niches? Like when you're thinking about an audience or certain tools, how do you think about it? When is like, is there a correct time to not go niche or is your answer most of the time go as niche as possible? Is Gregory still here? I'm, I, I'm, tr tr I'm trying really hard to get this. Uh, I think the Twitch is going, I just don't know. My, oh, it's creator economy. Give this a try, uh, Gregory. Twitch.tv and then Creator Economy is the name. And it's probably streaming live, I think. <laughs> I have no idea. Because um, this back and forth with this muting is really weird. But anyways, how do I think about that? Um, so yep. a couple of things. So I, th I think that up in, it, it it's... It was better to be more of a, I would say even five years ago, ten, definitely 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I would say that you, actually, let me rephrase this. At the beginning of any new innovation, any like technological innovation, right? Um, what happens is, is that not many people know about it. There's the early adopters, right? And then more people become aware of it. And then if, you know, then it becomes mainstream, but that takes a long period of time. And at the very early onset of something that is as big as like no code or as attractive as no code, being a generalist, um, kind of like the approach that I had, right, was way, it was, to, it was much more in my benefit than someone who was just with one tool or something like that. Because you, no one was really great at anything in particular. And so they were just mediocre at like this one thing, but I was mediocre at like a hundred different things. And, but what, so being a generalist at the beginning, when people don't know much about it and the market doesn't know exactly what tools should be used for what, it's more beneficial because you can take on a lot more different projects. If you know of all the different tools, you just have to know of the toolkit. But over time, what happens is, is that people end up becoming experts on these individual platforms. And then I believe within the platforms, certain parts of it, like for example, someone's going to be probably even more than this, but like Airtable automation specifically. And that has to do with, um, you know, with make, what a weird name, Integramat, whatever. And uh, specifically within that to accounting and finance tools, like, and they're going to be the best in the world at that. And whenever someone needs something with that, all the companies are going to work through them as opposed to one person working for a company all year round, because no one in the world I've ever seen is the best at every single thing they do at their job all year round. Like why not have the best person for whatever that project is at that time. Right. And then kind of cycle through that. And uh, so I think being a journalist in the beginning is good. And then you then become that restaurant that serves Chinese food, Italian food and American food. And you, and as a consumer, you just don't trust that they could be good at any of that. If they're serving all the different types of food, I'd rather go to a Chinese restaurant for Chinese and an American restaurant for American. And you don't want to be a generalist because someone would rather go with the top, you know, bubble Coda expert than someone who does Coda notion, you know, all this stuff. So that's kind of how I think about it. Um, 
And when we were talking, yeah, I, I think niche, uh, it, well, first of all, I think your niche is very interesting. In fact, can you talk a little bit about that? And then we could dive a little bit deeper on it. I think, I think your niche isn't really even a niche. It's like big. Yeah. Um, yeah, not really sure if it's a niche or how, how big of a niche it is. So, so like how I started it with no code tools, it's just like helping small companies, um, with their finances. So what's a small company for me or like for my, some of my clients on, on like all the Sebras, which is my, my side business, um, it's teams between two and 15 people that currently use Excel or a spreadsheet to manage their day-to-day -day finances. Um, they usually also, so that's like two things. The third one is they don't have someone in the team with finance knowledge at all. So they are like all uh, background in, in sales or background in something else. Like they're pretty good at building the product. Is that like a requirement? Whatever, but not finances. Like yeah, not a requirement. It just like happens to be a characteristic of who, who I'm targeting and who I like working with, because I think there's a lot of value I can provide if they don't know anything about finances, whether if they already know about finances, then, then maybe they can solve their own issues and like, maybe they don't need all the answers. So I, I like working with like small teams just running their finances in a spreadsheet uh, without any knowledge in finances or just like maybe the basics uh, because I feel like I can add a lot of value. Um, so yeah, that's like mainly who I've been working with. Do you feel like, do you feel like, um, I'm not going to go back and forth with this muting and unmuting. I think it's streaming on Twitch. I really do. I don't know how to check. I'm sorry, Gregory, but twitch.tv slash creator economy. I think if you go there, you'll see it. If not, just put a text in there, but otherwise everyone can watch it there. I think it is live, but I don't know. Um, so I'm not going to do the muting anymore. Um, like it's, I gotta be honest. What it sounds like to me is, is that you don't believe and tell me if I'm wrong. You worry about getting, you don't think you can get the sale if there is a finance or accounting person on board, like even though the largest professional services companies, literally the big four PwC Deloitte make tens of billions of dollars in revenue, providing expertise to people in the same domain, like advisories to CFOs, like look at McKinsey, like it's so I can argue that it's more beneficial to have a finance person who just needs, who knows exactly. In fact, I have found it personally to be better that someone is a finance person and they're a normal finance person who doesn't know no code and stuff. And therefore they know what they want done. They just don't know how to get there. And you go, yeah, we could do that. Or I could build that. And boom, like they hire you in two seconds because they've wanted that forever. They just didn't know it was possible that, what do you think? I mean, I think it's totally, I mean, I think it's totally valid, um, valid, but I've worked with both. So I, I've worked with many companies that have CFOs and someone 
an accountant or someone. And I've worked with many teams that have no clue about finances. And I actually enjoy more working with those people. Taking them from zero to one, it's more fun for me than taking a team from one to two. So it's just like, personally, I think it's just more fun and I like it. And I like to see their faces, their woe moments when they learn about a new finance concept or when they actually start understanding their finances for the first time ever. I think for me, that's just amazing. Having to see a team go from like, I don't know, I just sell and I do have expenses. I actually don't know if I have a profit or anything. So going from that moment of confusion and not understanding their data to, oh, for the first time, I actually understand my margin. Like what's a real profits, example? My cash flows. I think that's just amazing. Like what's like a practical example? Um, like of, of, mean, of, oh, like of a scenario where they did not understand their finances in some way and then had a metric that. Yeah. yeah the classic, the classic one is a, a team, um, who sells through different channels. So, so let me talk about an e-commerce platform back in, in Mexico. Um, they sell plants and pots um on wow. instagram and on their website and then they deliver in in the same city um so they were just like selling on woocommerce and then on whatsapp and then on email Did they make a lot of money uh, a few other platforms decent money not a lot um just like a good side hustle not a like a couple hustle, or like a, a business or an individual and, two and people. they and they sold yeah what? pretty much two people pots and pans Plants yeah. and, plants and solely on Instagram for houses, and they can yeah. make a living off that. Mainly, mainly on Instagram. Yeah, like um, I hope he, that's amazing. So that's amazing. It is. It's just like it's such a fun business. Um, and they kind of had an idea on how much they were selling. They had no idea on how much they were spending. They were just like spending money on the credit card and the debit card and just like having some cash in hand and paying their suppliers and anything. Um, so they, they kind of had the idea on some part of the revenue because their bank account and because of Instagram and they used WooCommerce for their e-commerce um, website, but they never linked it together on like, oh, how much revenue am I having compared to my expenses? So, and they were so they not didn't understanding, know their um, like their legit profit, they didn't just how much cash was there and they didn't know their, uh, they didn't know cash flows or how much cash oh. they had. They didn't know, um, their mm -hmm. unit economics. So they're like margins. Well, I figured that the products, <laughs> they were just like, they, yeah. And that's like, it's pretty tough. It's super, it's super needed. So they were just pricing depending on the market not necessarily depending on uh, cost and uh, expenses. So yeah, that, that's, that's, so, did they, so in that example, did they, did your work discover something that had them like change the price or spend less somewhere? Like, did they change any of their actions because they discovered something that, you know, it wasn't a feasible business model, you know, I don't know. They were making a mistake over spending somewhere. I don't know. Yeah. That's, 
Yeah, that's that's a great question. So so we learned, I would say, three things. Uh, first of all, that they should be focusing on B two B businesses instead of B two C, because they saw that B two B sales had a higher profit than B two C. So that's something. That's a big thing they did. Um, they started selling more and focusing more on B two B, which means for them selling to restaurants uh, and selling to um spas just like shops and businesses um so so they that's what they did the first thing the second thing they did is they i think they raised prices a little bit um and and secondly they started to manage cash flows way better uh, so like whenever they knew they were going to need some cash they would prepare in advance save up some cash and then save it for the next month instead of expending it. Um, so yeah, just like cash flow management and the focus of the business from B2C to B2B, I think were the two biggest I mean, that changes. first one's a huge change. That's an entire business model shift. The, the, the second part though, uh, over the second part, the reason the price is like, that's what I was imagining, something like that happening. But what I'm curious of is the third part, which is you come in, you kind of fix all this or create all this, I guess, essentially it's not even fixing because it didn't really exist probably. Right. And I mean, yeah, I guess in some cases it's kind of fixing, it, it really depends, but it's a, it's also a hard problem to tackle because if at, at the end, someone has to, I mean, we're talking no API integrations with our bank accounts. Right. So, so we can't really have every dime, every penny that goes into the bank account and then understand what's going on with that. Because there's a lot of cash Wait, involved not, over here as well. Either it's just like, at least in, in, I mean, for two reasons, I would say, first of all, there's a lot of cash involved in yeah. these kind of businesses. You usually pay the suppliers in cash because really? at least in Mexico, they're part of the informal economy. So, so they, some of them don't even have a bank account. Um, that's what I say. So, is that common? a lot of cash? And what's oh, the yeah. core reason? Is um, it a distrust in like government, or is it something else? Like, what's the issue? I mean, it just happens. Not happens to be, but the thing about businesses in Mexico is that almost fifty percent of our economy is informal, and by informal, I mean they are not registered businesses and some of them don't have bank accounts and some of them just manage the business with cash and with paper and like, pen. Like, like the government doesn't know they exist. Is that what informal means? Yeah. Also, they That's, don't yeah. pay taxes. They, I mean, I guess they know they exist for, because of other kind of data, but they don't really pay taxes or at least not 50%? About 50%. Yeah. And which is huge. Well, that re that makes me think, are they adopting crypto? I'm kind of curious. Is that being looked at at all? Oh, they, most yeah, people don't even yeah, know about crypto. So, yeah, yeah, I would say no. Like, when I used to go to like Columbia, Guatemala, I'm not saying it's the same thing, but like people in um, Latin America tend to not want to put their credit card in like an Amazon. <laughs> they're very, they're the last people that want to do that. Like trusting it. I learned that at least culture wise. Yeah. I don't know what the reason is. 
it's 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 definitely growing um like more people are having smartphones and uh more people are getting into bank accounts and credit accounts and more people are trusting those those platforms but for for now i think there's a huge opportunity in latam or in latin america because because of this because a lot of people are just managing their cash flows in cash or in their bank accounts or in pen and paper and we don't really have a lot of technology like api connections to your bank account to really understand what's going on with your business so that's why we have to start from scratch with something very basic like actually every day just doing a summary of what you sold and a summary of what expenses you had and just just go back to the basics and not even think about something as complex as causal or brex or any other software or quickbooks which is like super popular in the US and it's like very obvious that everyone should do. I mean, I was just thinking like QuickBooks, you guys, right? I, I probably, uh, what's it called? Payoneer. And also like, I mean, I would never recommend this, but PayPal because their fees are ridiculous, but like, you know, that yeah. just tends to be really popular. Like, you know, people in like Philippines, stuff like that. Um, it, but these businesses, these 50% that don't have a bank account, is it, are they choosing not to have one or are they not able to get one? And, is it mostly that they're choosing not to have one? And if so, what's the reason? I mean, but when I mean they are part of the informal economy, um, that doesn't necessarily mean they don't okay. have a bank account. They might have a bank account. Um, they might use it for their business. They might use it for their personal stuff, but they, they probably have a bank account. Not everyone though. Um, what they don't usually have is a, um, like they, they pay taxes, like, and they consider themselves or they register any type of business, like an LLC or something like that. Um, so if, I mean, in, in many cases, if they don't have a bank account, they just use cash like, and, and they, so and like that, people in the US, works. I imagine if they could choose to not pay taxes or pay taxes, they would choose not to and keep all their money. Is it is I'm trying to figure out what the reason is. Is it like the is it like a lack of enforcement? Like is there more of an intimate like people would let there's very rarely businesses or is it the infrastructure of the system of like or is in the US it's more organized, even though it's not organized whatsoever, but with like somewhat keeping track of like taxes and what companies exist and quarterly stuff. Like I'm trying to get to the core. Like like what's the thesis? I mean, that's like the million dollar question. And if you have that answer, like you're going to be prime minister or something, because I don't, I don't feel like anyone has that answer and it's so complex and complicated. And the answer is all of the above, like everything you said sums up. Um, we, our tax system is actually not terribly bad, at least in my opinion. Can you describe um, it it's, a little bit? It's, I'm not familiar with it. Our, our, our tax, we have like the equivalent of the IRS. We call it SAT, um, SAT. And uh, we have federal I took taxes. The SATs. Um, same I'm as you guys. I took the SATs. Sorry? <laughs> okay. No, oh, well, that's, so, that, that's a different kind of complex stuff. Um, 
So, so we have this uh, equivalent of the IRS, and um, we have this um, profit tax, pretty much, which is about thirty percent for businesses, um, similar to you guys. And then we have the equivalent of the sales tax to you, which in our case is uh, six and sixteen percent, right? like twenty percent. And yeah, you guys actually have a lot of business. You guys That's have more that. taxes, I think, than we do. If it's similar to like Colombia and stuff, it's about, it's about oh. the same oh, as okay. far as I know. It's like if you see it as a percentage, if you're a business or an individual, an employee or something, and if you see it as a percentage, I think we are just about the same. Uh, if you consider both sales tax and state tax and federal tax okay. and everything. I, um, so the, the big difference. The big, big difference between Mexico and the U.S. regarding taxes is that in Mexico, every invoice, every invoice for sales and expenses goes through the SAT to the SAT, equivalent to the IRS. In, in the U.S., you have everything on paper. So you, you don't even have the invoice or the receipts are like just a PDF. In, in Mexico, everything goes to a database. Every invoice goes to a database that is owned and checked and reviewed by the SAT. Does anyone audit them? So, yeah, they do. Yeah. So they know absolutely every movement between sales and expenses for companies and for individuals who are actually paying taxes. So that's very interesting. Um, actually, it's like so... They use like so much technology now that they just uh, had this new program where they calculate the taxes for you and uh, because they know everything and they just like pay it. So, so now like they, this smart, is like something way. new where- They should do that in the US. They just like, they know all the sales you had because of this uh, tracking, this factura, this That's like so kind smart. Of invoice that is connected to a database automatically. So now they just take off like, 2.5% of whatever invoice. So people don't have to file. Have. It's and, more and of like, it. It, like shifting, maybe they do, but like shifting from people having to, what people go through with taxes, like a whole thing, like filing all this, whereas it's just the government taking the initiative and like, they just, you know, it's much it's frictionless. Well, less yeah. friction. They, they do not do it for everyone. They only do it for, I guess, like super small businesses that are starting out. I think you, you, you have to be a one person okay. business and, uh, there's a cap on how much sales you can have under this kind of program. Um, I think it's like $200,000 okay. for the equivalent in Mexican pesos. Um, it's not for anyone, but, uh, it's kind of convenient. What, so, I mean, what they say is, okay. Since you're using these invoices and since we know all right. of the invoices related to your equivalent of social but, security number or your ID as a citizen, then we know enough about you to see like how much you're selling and how much revenue. That's kind of big brotherish now. So let's just like keep it simple. And instead of having you to go to the trouble of submitting your expenses and then keeping account of all your income and all of that. Let's just like take a look at what we know about you and take a small percentage, which is two point between one and three percent. It's definitely smarter. 
So that's the new the initiative they have. I think the only argument is that's kind of fucking scary that they know every little thing about you or your business. And like, is that appropriate? <laughs> I guess is that, that's kind of like the only thing. Um, yeah. I'm not really yeah. into that stuff. True. Um, but uh, some people, maybe True. people like being watched. Um, but uh, as far as the overall strategy, yeah. it makes perfect sense. And I think that's going to end up happening in the U.S. because they, they essentially are going to know every single thing. You know, right now our monetary system uses one relational database, like to allocate, like for inflation, like printing money and allocating it to people. It's literally like one SQL database, like for all of America. Like, that's how inefficient it, it's ridiculous. Um, and, uh, yeah. and, and the people who do their expenses taxes probably don't even do it correctly. So if they know everything, like you can request in the U.S. an IRS transcript. And that's essentially everything about you from the past year. And you, it's your taxes, essentially. Mm. I, I, and that's what you just, you just put that into the forms. There's nothing to calculate it. They already have it. Um, very similar. Um, so taxes is interesting too, because, uh, yeah. And the, so I'm talk about niche. I'm very fascinated in, you know, completing projects with a team of the best people for every phase, right? But they may not know one another because they're not all, the, you know, they all work for themselves if they're the best. But to be able to work as a team for a project because someone's the best at creating this software portal with Airtable and then the next person's better at the, you know, and it flows, right? And so that's how I came across this tool called yeah. WorkLayer. It's called WorkLayer.com. And um, okay. you can go to the website and see it's kind of the PwC is one of their clients, but it's like this job matching idea, right? And smartmatchapp.com is a is a similar idea, but that's more of like a plug-in as opposed to like an entire platform. And what's mm -hmm. fascinating is with worklayer.com, that's the technology they created, that platform of job routing, I guess essentially, right? And to make people's Please. utilization, especially in finance, to be as close to 100 as possible. Utilization is a big measurement, a big floor accounting, if people don't know, which basically means how many billing hours mm -hmm. you have versus your total hours. Um, and okay. you just want to, the secret, if you are if you do work a big four, just make everything as billing hours because people just think that you're a better yep. worker for some reason, even though it's like you're not. <laughs> um, it, could yeah. mean you're, it could mean you're slower. Yeah. Um, but anyways... Do you use the yeah, work PwC for a in Bermuda? Got it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Like you seem to know yeah, a lot. About I mean, that. I did it for two years. I did it with my first job out of school. It made me realize it's the exact opposite of what I want to do with my life. And, but I did it in Bermuda where I didn't know anyone. It's an island and it was awesome. Nice. Like living on the yeah. ocean at 22 and whatnot. And I worked with cool people. And, nice. uh, but yeah. And did a lot of with taxes too, like high net worth individuals and like hedge funds, private equity, because yeah. we were offshore. But it, it just not, I don't know, man. It's a weird culture. Not just no, tough. no, that's why I did a yeah. one way plane ticket to New York. And I've yeah. only worked with startups since then. So, um, yeah. but anyways. Cool. Completely the opposite. <laughs> Wait, what did you, you say? Completely, Completely the opposite. Uh, oh, in fact, when I decided to leave PwC because they do two-year contracts, um, I 
literally wanted to go to New York City because it was the polar opposite of what I was living with the island life. So that was like, that was my intent at the time too. And I love madness and chaos and it's what I prefer. And we were talking about Vancouver and like just cities. I love that. Um, But this whole work layer thing, the reason why I brought it up is they raised like $4 million or probably more since then, but it wasn't for work layer, which is the proprietary technology. No, 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 no. They didn't raise money on that. What they raised money on was what they, what's called tax file, F-Y-L-E. If you go to taxfile.com, it's their system, but on just using it for taxes only, like the lay, you can brand it as anything. We can use it for, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know, uh, you know, auditing, whatever. They raise money on not the tech core technology, but the niche of taxes as a layer on top of it. And I found that very yeah. fascinating that it wasn't an investment in the actual tool, but it was actually the fact that taxes are so much trouble that having a way to submit something in a portal, essentially have it like streamlined and, you know, routed and done for you was enough to warrant its own investment away from the proprietary technology. So taxes are, and Intuit's a gigantic company and they have like a monopoly on it. And it's, you know. Right. I think that's that's super interesting to see they invested and I'm not super surprised they invested in the (sighs) use case rather than the tool because everyone, everyone hates taxes and like there's a huge opportunity over there, but they are so complicated that no one but wants why to not? do it. But, but why not have the technology? Right? And then if you do taxes out of it over here, you get that. If you do, you know, some other services over here, you get that. Like, cause you have the core platform. What's, what's another use case besides the, um, for, for what do you say? The work uh, no, it's called work layer, uh, dot com, but, but other, work other layer. examples okay. are, um, anything that's like agency work, like a creative agency design work, let's say like UI UX, okay. something like that. Um, yeah. graphic design, like uh, design pickle or something like that. Yeah. Anything that has to go from one person to the next and is service-based, but so you need human talent yeah. and it, there's inefficiencies in how the work's assigned because you, you don't really know what everyone's working on all this stuff, but if you have like this algorithm in place, um, they show it pretty clearly on the homepage. It's kind of cool. Um, yeah. I'm or, a look at them. Or now. Smart match app is a much cooler website to look at, but that's like an add on in an Airtable Webflow marketplace, but like the same idea. It's this, and this matchmaking concept and combining people like in work layer into teams from across the world. So, so if you have a database, and so what I, what I build is this massive database of every maker in the world, like literally, and their best skill, their second best skill, their third best skill, the best tools, the best industries they're best at, their showcases, like I have scraped the whole internet. <laughs> and the whole hypothesis was, okay, we're gonna internally have this kind of marketplace where the best people work on each part of the project. And that's what we did. And it was, you know, intentionally, but by accident, not knowing that that's something that people want. And if you look at all these like marketplaces with this matching capability where, you know, instead of the best person with this best salesmanship, for example, winning every deal, it's actually the most person 
who should win it based on merit and they're that they're the best because a lot of people, you know, sell no code projects or services. And it's really just because mm -hmm. the other person doesn't know much about no code and they're a great salesman or saleswoman and they're not really the best maker. Yep. Um, and so, uh, yep. this idea of ensuring it goes to people who are going to give you an a product that is of high quality is being applied in all these different marketplaces and niches in a way that I, it's so unusual, even with job matching. Like if you look at like brain trust, which is a mm -hmm. decentralized one, um, it's, um, it's interesting. It's interesting. So anyways, back to, uh, so what no code tools do you use besides, do you use anything else from a professional standpoint besides Coda? Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, I use, um, I use Zapier a lot. I use Causal. I use Doric uh, to be able to I got the pages. lifetime deal of that. I, I don't use it though. Oh, I got the same. It's, it's so good. Um, I use, um, Outsera for one of my projects. I think projects. it's the best no-code tool in um, my opinion. I think oh, it's yeah. amazing. It's it's so good. Um, I'm pretty sure everyone will start using outside and that's it. I think like for now, anyone who's building a SaaS business or a membership kind of business, they no should question. use outside automatically. And that's it. Like no questions asked. The it's value versus the like the cost and um, all of it. It's so disproportionate. You're getting so much correct. more value. Yeah. Yeah. I love that one. Um, what else do I, I use Airtable do you stack as well. You should no, use StackBy. I, I do not. And founder of StackBy was the first guest on the show. Um, but StackBy is basically Airtable, but they do API integrations, automations to the cell level, which is really interesting. Oh, interesting. So it's kind of cool what you could do. Okay. It's legit. That's super cool. Okay. And their I, iOS no, app is I, I way better than their tables. Okay. Yeah, I only, I only use um, Airtable for a couple of use cases. Like what? Um, I use oh. Webflow as well. Wait, you use Webflow um, and Doric? And, I, and Doric, yes. What do you just make multiple websites? Is that what we're talking about? Yeah, I just like, I was experimenting and I built a couple of landing pages on, on Doric. And then I used Webflow for one of my projects, um, which is like a financial calculator. Uh -huh. So it's pretty easy to embed models in there. Actually, what I did is I built the financial calculators in Causal, and then you know how you can embed them. And then I embedded them on Webflow and I created a it's like calc, process. Calc using, app. Uh, or there's something called like Calc app or financial. It's a something like that. But people love calculators, by the way. It's, it's a, oh, they love calculators. Love calculators. It's, yeah. it's fascinating. How would yeah. you describe the learning curve of Webflow? Hard <laughs> and kind of at least hard and tough for me. A lot of videos and I'm still a complete beginner. I, I ended up buying a template and just customizing the template. That's, that's what I did. So it's like for my, my, my current website, it's super basic. Um, yeah, it's just like a very simple dashboard. You can log in and sign up using member stack. And then you have yeah, like your personal dashboard with your calculators and that's it. It's like 
nothing to use the back end but uh of for in uh in webflow i i use the okay. cms yeah but it's more complicated yeah. like that i don't think everyone can do i think webflow is actually tough or for sure i, I think yeah it seems like it it seems to be great if you are oh. a designer um and like it seems to be by far probably the best one to For actually sure. do good decisions around ua ui and uh, ux so um i've heard like designers they love just love it they love well that yeah that's because they used to use wordpress and wordpress i can it can make me throw up like i i despise <laughs> that tool i i've never loved yeah it. Then that WooCommerce yeah. example actually earlier, do they use WordPress? Why aren't they using Shopify? <laughs> I don't know. Um, they should. I don't know. I really don't know. And they are using and, WordPress. And, but you and can I hate use it. with Shopify. Sorry, I'm getting off track, but they can use Mesa. It's getmesa, G-E-T-M-E-S-A dot com, which is essentially a Zapier or Alloy Automation, which are both Zapiers, but for e-commerce or SyncSpider which also had a lifetime deal too. Those are the three, but yeah, I, I, that would just automate everything. I'm, Bam. I'm taking a look at Mesa because I've never yeah. heard of them. And you're totally right. They would, they <laughs> could save so oh my much God. time. And no, almost nobody knows this tool. Do they have an API? Yeah. They do have look an at API. What, look, at, yeah, look at the I, use I, cases. I it's basically. unbelievable. And. That's, and look at Alloy yeah. Automation. You know what? I, I don't know. I, I'm going to tell you, I think, why it happens. I think it's at least for the type of companies I sometimes work with. They just go out there and ask their friends for yeah. any developer, whoever, just like any developer. And like, I want to build a website and I want to build an e-commerce platform. So they ask for a like full stack developer. That's going to be all the customized which is not good though. for them, which is going to be freaking expensive and it's going to be super expensive and it's going to be useless. And you're going to need them to maintain it. They're just not probably. going to take care of it. <laughs> exactly. You're going to maintain it. And then guess what? They're going to charge you for it. So it's just going to be a pain in the ass. So that's what happens. And then someone just like says, oh, I know a friend that worked with a developer and then they did that website and whatever. And they just go and talk to that developer. And they tell you they're going to build a customized website for you using blah, blah, blah. They don't really care about it. And then they just build something. Um, so they don't even know about Shopify or any other solutions. They just go for whatever the developers tell And sometimes them they're themselves. like just developers and just find them, you know, Fiverr, things like that. And they're, you know, like it's the same story True. and everyone gets. Um, and then there's also Zenfi too, which they can even use, which is kind of neat. Uh, I think it's Zenfi.com. I love, they found it in text. It's a G Suite specific iPass integration platform as a service. So it's Zapier, but native to G Suite. So if you use G Suite, oh, yeah, I put G it Suite. in our chat. Um, and then get me. So you already looked at, but like those tools right there. Dude, do you, do you have like a database of yeah, all I of do. these tools or do they live rent free in? Oh, they in live rent free in my brain, but I do uh, have a database <laughs> of like, every tool and every showcase template, every published no code project, like I've, I've scraped everything, but I've never used it to create anything. I don't know why, like people, there's people who make a great living, like side hustle stack of like 
just getting traffic for people to figure out the best tech stack and all that stuff. And like, that's what's in my head. And that's what I have a database of, but I'm not just have no passion to, to create that. But, yeah. um, but I'm telling you like those three tools, I mean, you even looked even parabola, I mean, easily one of the most underrated tools ever, yeah. um, is, and especially with e-commerce, they specialize with Shopify. If you go to parabola, their number one thing that they promote is okay. how they streamline Shopify. So, but yeah. that's also why Bolt is a genius yeah. idea because you might not even know Bolt, but Bolt is basically a competitor of Stripe. You mean the one right? Click and the, what they did was yeah. is not everybody uses Shopify, right? People use WordPress and stuff like that, where they would use a Bolt, and they had these network effects where they would get each they would get an additional company and for every company that they're totally unrelated to one another. But if you go to a company that you bought clothes from and it was bolt, and then I went to your shoe store online and they use bolt, well, your data is saved. And so the more companies that use bolt, the bigger this one click checkout, you know, say is, is easier. Yeah. And they've built their own ecosystem. Like Shopify is easy. Like they can do one click check in Amazon because it's yeah. all within there. Bolt did it like distributed. Yeah. It's kind of genius. Right, right, right. Let's see how that plays out in the future. Well, there were 12 billion right now. Especially after what happened with Fast and all of that. Yeah, I mean, he, well, he's a great CEO too. He's a great follow on Twitter, actually. Ryan Burlow, it's super controversial. He's a, called out the Stripe Mafia. It's just, it's a crazy thread. And then he ended <laughs> up not being the CEO of Bolt anymore, but he says he stepped down. Um Oh, I'm I wonder what happened. Oh, he, really. he basically said you can't compete against Stripe because what Stripe did was, is yeah. they're like the most valuable company. And what they did was they got every single investor. So since they got every investor, yeah. you can't have a competitor because you can't have them as an investor because it's a conflict of interest. That was the strategy. And he said, and he yeah. called it like a mob. Like, I mean, how huh. do you compete if you can't go for everybody's invested in Stripe? all the top people. True. I mean, is it, is it, is True. it, is it illegal? No, but is it ethical that, it, you know, it definitely raises questions. It's pretty, yeah, it's a pretty yeah. aggressive move from Stripe because what I imagine happened is just like the founder or the CFO or whoever just went out there and like knocked on the doors of absolutely everyone. And it's like, do you want to invest? Just like invest and whatever. And everybody want, whatever wanted amount, in because, it, you yeah, know, it was, it was a no brainer. It's the darling of Silicon Valley. They were, it, it seems like they were doing exactly the opposite of many companies, which is just like, stop talking to investors. Like, oh no, the round is just full. There's no space for you. And Stripe was doing the opposite. It's a good strategy, but it's, it's amazing. He built Bolt into with all that known into a 12 billion 12 billion dollar company i mean that's amazing but it, his right. his um yeah. his thread is unbelievable and i'm trying to just oh it says the tweet was deleted oh wow or they, oh. by the way one of my videos uh this is interesting so bitcoin conference in miami just happened and Supposedly yeah. in the middle of the night, they were taken off. Like uh, their YouTube channel was shut down at, like randomly by YouTube. And it seemed like it was like a bot, like huh. an algorithm type thing. Because they talked to YouTube before yeah. and made sure like, you know, everything would be fine. And it got taken down. It got censored. 
And I had a clip of them talking about that takedown because I thought it was interesting. And I've had it up on YouTube for since that, like a week or something. And it's gotten thousands of views. And today, like an hour, two hours ago, I got an email that it's been taken down, that I need to, that it's it, it's against their code of conduct. So I have one strike out of three and I need to do like this school. I can't post anything until I do like this um, type of like, uh, you know, like what's r- right to say and what's wrong to say, like school or something. They said, I briefly looked at it, but they've taken oh, it down weird. Like, a week and a half after I did it. And like 2000 and tons of, and there were like 10, 12 comments on it. Like it was the, and they took it down today. Were you talking about like, did they give any sort so, of explanation on what exactly you so, mentioned? So, that Yeah. That so that's, what's so interesting. They, I saved it. They, uh, they did. They said, um, it, it was really broad. Uh, it was something like, and it, it was, it literally just happened like before our call. And I was like, that's so weird. It's been up. It's been getting all these views. And I think getting all those views is not good or something. Let's see what it says. I, I wonder if it's something related to copyright, Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, whatever, or if it's something related to mentioning YouTube and their censorship. Is that not allowed? Or Can I not do that? Here, it says, here it is. You're, so it happened tonight at 8.30 p.m. on the dot, which is odd. That seems like a bot. It says, due to a copyright yeah. takedown notice that we received, we had to take down your video from YouTube. Video title, Bitcoin Magazine gets silenced by big tech for unknown reason. Bitcoin, Bitcoin 2022 hashtag. Um, takedown issued by YouTube. So they reported to themselves. That's what it's essentially saying. That means your video can no longer be played on YouTube. You have one copyright strike. Out of three. Aren't you allowed to clip videos or no? It was actually a YouTube short, I think. I I I don't don't know know. either, but maybe if it was them, like their channel, I'd be okay with it. But um, it looks like it says takedown issued by YouTube LLC. I don't know, but... Huh. Well, that sucks. I mean, it doesn't matter, but it was like, it's a, it's like two weeks late. That's what's so weird. Um, yeah. But, um, yeah, I know. Yeah. It sounds like, yeah. Either someone. Oh, someone filed, filed a, complaint a complaint or something. For sure. Yeah. Okay. It says there was, it says something was yeah. filed. Okay. But. Okay. Huh. <sighs> I mean, it happens if you want to, if you want to get famous, I guess. I want to get famous. What's going to happen? I have no interest, no interest <laughs> in being famous. I just thought it was interesting and I wanted other people's perspectives, but whatever. That's a little off topic. Yeah. So what do you think? Have you ever done like live tutorials? Um, 